Hello, and welcome to the preliminary episode of our Hockey History Podcast. Uh, we are going to cover various uh, different aspects of the history of the NHL and pre-NHL, and this episode is so that you get an idea of where we're coming from. Uh, my name is Riley Haas. I have been a Maple Leafs fan for, let's call it, 25 years, and I've also written a book about the Maple Leafs um, about Brian Burke's tenure as the GM of the Maple Leafs called Rebuilding on the Fly. And I am joined by Bill Enos. Hello. And Bill, you are a lifelong Canucks fan, I believe. Yes, I am. I have not written any books about the Canucks because I don't enjoy writing and crying at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been a hockey fan since uh, probably 80, oh geez, 86, 87, somewhere around there, and then became a Canucks fan in 89. And I've been following them in the NHL ever since. You're beating me because I, I definitely, I didn't grow up a hockey fan. I wasn't a hockey fan until at least 92, I think, was the, because um, the, the Leafs were really bad. And, and, oh, yes, they were. And my father's American, and so I was a baseball fan. So I didn't, yeah. like, I didn't yeah, pay attention I, I, until I'm they sure got good. People didn't become Leafs fans when Alan Bester and Peter Ring were running the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> Once yeah. Gilmore got there, then it became a, lo a little more exciting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least I have a, an excuse because I was a child. Yes. <laughs> I feel like kids jumping on bandwagons is more reasonable, more acceptable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the way they do it, right? They take that front-running team. And then, yeah. you know, then you got to make sure they stick with it into their adult years. <laughs> yeah. Which I have mostly, though, yeah, mostly. Uh, yeah. to my, uh, my disgrace. Well, I don't know, disgrace, but, like, I I eventually, like, gave up on the Leafs a number of years ago. Um, and uh, after I finished my book and uh, and basically switched to basketball. However, things have changed in Leafland and... Uh, it's hard. It's hard for me as a, a fan to to like accept that the Leafs are now good. Headed you know. in the right direction. Under yeah, headed in the right direction. It just doesn't seem like it's possible. I know. Well, um, it's, it's weird. Wild uh, watching them win games last year is just like holy crap. They're actually good. <laughs> Look at them go. Yeah. Look at that Austin Matthews. Exactly. So speaking of good, uh, this episode uh, we've decided to um, use it as a chance to get you familiar with what we are talking about on the show in terms of what constitutes a great hockey player. Our, our goal is to look at the hockey greats of the past and to using, you know, both uh, the information we can find about them, but also more modern concepts of uh, greatness, try to figure out, you know, were these players as great as, as history tells us or the opposite of that, maybe they're a little overrated and also to shine a light on people who maybe have been forgotten a little bit because we didn't know what we know now about how, you know, how to quantify the game and stuff like that. So to that end, uh, today we're talking about um, what do we mean by greatness? And we've kind of divided this into three spheres, one of which is their general career. Um, and then we have more specific individual accomplishments because, you know, one of the defining um, debates about uh, professional athletics with individual players is which do you uh, value? Do you value longevity or peak? And then finally, we have presence on so-called great teams, teams that we would consider historically significant in some way or other. So uh, 
our first our first point of contention uh, is um, the length of the career and whether or not that should matter to us when we talk about a great player. And I feel like you and I might be on different pages. <laughs> I, have a feel, I have a feeling we will be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start by saying that it, it, it's more and more of a problem now, I think, than it has ever been because we, you know, everyone is aware of how much modern medicine and modern nutrition and modern, um, even like things like, uh, uh, kinesiology and rehab and stuff like this, all these things are so much better now than they've ever been in the past oh, with yeah. professional sports that your career has been almost everything else being equal. You're going to have a longer career generally. You should, you should. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Bobby Orr played nowadays, his road, his knees wouldn't look like a roadmap. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he probably could have bought himself another, oh, at least four or five good years. Yeah. I mean, who knows, right? Like yeah. the, 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 even in that, even in forty years or or fifty years, the the differences in technology in terms of like uh, fixing someone's knee or fixing you know even muscle tears and stuff is oh, yeah. so drastic. Oh yeah, uh, look, look at uh, Eric Carlson when he when he got his Achilles slash. That could have been a career-ending injury even maybe fifteen years before that. And yeah, instead he's out there skating around like uh, nobody's business. So this causes a problem because everybody is playing longer now, everybody. And back, especially back in the earliest days of the NHL, we have careers that are a hundred games, 200 games. One of the best players um, in the history of the sport. I think it, it's not unreasonable of me to say New Zealand I'm not sure he played a hundred games in the NHL. Mm -hmm. I think he played like 80 something. Um, I'm not even sure played 80. Um, and he like not even a full season. And and so now that everyone's playing a really long time, you know, can we value longevity at all? Is that something if if a player like is top five in, in games played when they retire, but was not ever an elite player, do they are they should we consider them, you know, a a, a great player. Well, to, 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 to me, the, the longevity, it's, it can factor in, but to me, the greatness has to come before the longevity becomes a factor in considering whether that pushes them over the edge into the hall of fame or something, you know, like if somebody's just pretty good for 20 years, you're like, okay, well, he's, he was a pretty good player for a really long time, but he was still always just pretty good. Maybe yeah. that's not a hall of fame career. Whereas, you know, somebody's brilliant for seven or eight years, gets their knee blown out, and you're like, yeah, but he scored 50 goals every one of those eight years. Probably a little more Hall of Fame worthy for me. And especially when the injury is something that they have no control over, right? In this day and age of concussions, you get guys like Lindros and uh, yeah. Korea just went in, and it's like you almost have to be like, well, if they, did, if they weren't so concussed and they played in the era where, you know, you could elbow somebody right in the head and that was fine. Yeah. Um, how great could they have been? And before they got hurt, they were like elite level players. So I, to, to me, the, 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 uh, being very good for very long to me, doesn't count for as much as being, you know, elite for let's say a period of five to 10 years, that might be a short career by today's standards. But to me, it's that the brilliance was there where you were obviously head and shoulders above your peers. And then eh, maybe you didn't do it for as long because of injuries. If you 
you know, if you did do it for five or 10 years and then all of a sudden, you know, like a lot of power forwards, they hit that wall of like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing because there's so much wear and tear. And then they kind of fall apart and their stats drop like a rock. And you're like, well, that's not because of injury. That's because you got old all of a sudden. It's yeah. like, so maybe that affects it more. But when it's like it's cut short due to an injury that's out of their control, I feel like the, the brilliance should be rewarded, which is why I'm okay with guys like Korea and Lindros going in. Because at one point you could have argued that guy's a top three player in the league. Yeah, and if it wasn't for getting cross-checked in the face, shouldered in the head, if it wasn't for that stuff, maybe they could have played 15, 20 years at that level. You know, so that's I'm, the way I'm, I feel about it. I'm with you on the injury side of it for sure. Like, I, I, one of my, you actually hit upon one of my pet peeves about the Hall of Fame, and they've really started correcting it a lot lately. You know, the fact that uh, Korea's in Lindros is in Lindros was like Lindros. The whole Lindros thing made me insane. You know, the idea that like this guy who was one of the top couple of players in the league for five years, oh, yeah. half a decade, was and not in the Hall of Fame yeah. because he had a he got a concussion. You know, it's like exactly. this doesn't make any sense. And and unfortunately, and until Burry was put in too, Burry was another great example of yeah. like why is this guy penalized for for leg uh, knee problems, right? Knees yeah. with Burry, right? Exactly. Yeah. Things, yeah. So like there's there's some other examples. Um uh what was I gonna say? Uh Rick Martin, um who is now who's dropped significantly down on the list of uh top goal scorers, but depending on like what you uh what you put as like the games requirement for playing in the league, you know, he 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 put a, a four, uh you know point four four goals a game for his entire career which is very, very good. It's better than Lindros, um, slightly better than Lindros. And, you know, he's not in the hall because injuries. And it's, if, if you eliminate the, uh, the old timers on the list because they played for way, way less, uh, he's, you know, he's considerably up there. I mean, he's uh, Crosby and Ovechkin now qualify for the list. So they bumped him down, but um, you know, that's one of the guys there's a, uh, Tim Kerr is another one who just like guys who like scored a ton, but like didn't play long enough. The, the idea that the hall is just like, yeah, they're not in, yeah. but some other guys in the same situation are, I've always found that very, very frustrating. Yeah. Well, it's a, a lot of times it almost feels like if they played for a popular enough team or for a successful enough team, like a guy who's, um, Let's just say, you know, Tim Tim Kerr does it for, you know, four or five years where he's Mr. Power Play, scores, you know, a bunch of goals and like a big bucket load, and then his team never wins the cup. If his team had won two cups while he's doing that, you'd figure he's a lock, right? Because of the success of the team. But if you do yeah. it on a team where it's like, you know, you're kind of a flash in the pan or you only do it for a few years and then you regress to being just an average player, it's one of those things where you don't think you're going to get put in unless your team has massive amounts of success. You know, like I, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the Oilers from that era, from that great team, if that same player is on another team and he puts up those numbers and doesn't win any cups, you're like, eh, maybe that guy doesn't get in. You're you're know? absolutely right about that. Yeah. I mean, like Tim Kerr is 10th all time in, in goals per game. Wow. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. Like, wh- what? How can you have that? How can yeah. you How can you have one of the top 10 players in a, in a rate stat yeah. not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? That doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I, I feel like rate stat is very, very important because I remember a lot of people when Burray wasn't getting in and they were saying like, oh, he didn't play long enough. Like he only scored, yeah, I think it was 400 and yeah. 
473 career goals, maybe. And try, off yeah. the top of my head, it's either 473 or 438. Um, but his career was cut short, and he had so many seasons where he'd score 50 goals. Like, every season where he played a full season, he had 50, like, minimum 50 goals kind of thing. You yeah, know? And, and he almost had 60 uh, twice. Yeah, exactly. And I think 58 and 59 when he was in Florida in, like, the yeah. peak of the clutch and grab era. Yeah. So his, his stats, like, the goal scoring per game, I remember somebody at one point – I was having an argument with somebody at work and they're telling me he didn't belong in the hall of fame. And I said, okay, name the top three goals per game players in the history of the NHL. And it's Mike Bossy, Mario Lemieux, Pavel Bure. And they're just like, Oh yeah, maybe he should be in the hall of fame. You know, like <laughs> the rate of production is outstanding. It's just that everybody took him yeah. at the knees and he just couldn't stay healthy after that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So the, the part where I think we might disagree about is I still feel like like so, let's take Mike Gardner for example. Yes, Mike Gardner, oh, Mike Gardner was not ever like a dominant, dominant player. You know, like he, he, I don't think he was ever. Um, you know, uh, hockey reference has this thing called um, point shares, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's a it's a really rough attempt at at saying who the best players in the league are. Mike Gartner, and you know it, it's flawed, and we and when we, I'm sure when we're talking about individual play, players, we'll go into great details about why it's flawed. But let's putting aside that for the moment. Mike Gartner was never a top ten player by point share in his career, and he was only ever once a top ten offensive player by offensive point shares, and that was in 1985, where he was the ninth best player in the, offensive player in the league. Yeah, well, this is a guy. To, you're gonna have to excuse me for a second. Yeah. My, uh, my buddy's at the door. <laughs> so, so this is a guy who is uh never dominant and he is at the same time seventh all-time in goals he is one of only seven players to score 700 goals he has the least of those of among the the top seven but uh he has more goals than numerous hall of flame players um you know messier eiserman lemieux uh, Solani, Robitaille, Shanahan, Andrzejczyk, Sakic, Hull, uh, the Elder, um, Gary Curry, Mark Recchi, Mike Bossy, like he's got, and he's got way more goals than some of those guys. Wow! Yeah, what's well, the the consistency of always hitting like thirty five or forty goals every single year? Yeah, and so the Something question, like the question is, <laughs> does he belong in the Hall of Fame because he was never elite? But, mm. and and. I my answer is that even I don't see what's wrong with like putting in guys and saying like the reasons why they're in rather than saying he's in, you know? I'm okay with saying Mike Gardner's in the Hall of Fame because he was very good for ridiculously long time. Yes, he may have never been great. He we would not put him on a list of the greatest hockey players of all time, like a short list. Yeah. But like this is a man who's done something that is kind of remarkable i mean like aside from gordy howe and i don't know who else maybe gretzky and gordy howe has anyone else scored 35 goals like the 12 or whatever or 15 times that mike gardner did yeah i mean it's it's uh it's i i think you reach a certain point with players like that and i'm gonna make a baseball a couple of baseball comparisons but a guy like craig biggio gets into the hall of fame and you're like really craig biggio and then you're like played three different positions, you know, he got to 3000 hits, he did this, he did that. And you're just like, man, he did that for 20 years and just kind of kept plugging away being like one of the, 
most solid, consistent players for such a long time that um, it's like, how do you not put the guy in once you realize what he's accomplished over the length of his career, even though you probably never would have said Craig Biggio's the best, you know, hitting catcher, hitting second baseman, hitting center fielder, and he played all three of those positions. He was never like, he's never the guy you're going to put on, you know, a first ballot uh, for the all-star game. He's never going to be the starter kind of thing, but he's always consistently really, really good. And then you get a guy like um, Guerrero and people look at a lot of like his career stats for home runs and he gets to 400 and something career home runs. And he's uh, maybe the, I think he was the, had the most hits of any Dominican player ever until uh, Adrian Beltre beat it recently, I think. Um, and I don't watch baseball anymore, so. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, Adrian uh, Beltre has a lot of a lot yeah. of hits, though. But I like Guerrero very consistent. Like there was one stat, like somebody was again, somebody was saying, "Oh, I don't think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame." And I said, "You know, there's one stat where it's, you know, a player who had a 300 average and hit 25 home runs in a season." And it's how many years in a row did they do that? And the only other player who did it for the 11 seasons, I believe, that Guerrero did it in a row was Lou Gehrig. And it's like, yeah. that's the kind of like career, you know, maybe goodness, not greatness that he's putting up. That's, you know, it's pretty significant when it's that consistently very, very good, you know, like yeah. it, it's got to matter at a certain point. Yeah, I agree with that. And when there's no like drop off seasons, right? Like they don't yeah. drop off until let's say careers or, or maybe at the very tail end, the age starts to catch up with them. But before that, they're remarkably consistently in, you know, a top 10 player or on the edge of a top 10 player. And, you know, you'll have some guys who one season, they're number one and the next season, they're number 25. The next season, they're number 52. Then they bounce back to being number two. It's like he has those peak seasons, but he doesn't have that consistency of always being that good. So I think at a certain point that weighs in, yeah. but it's it's hard to say at what point do you consider, oh, this guy's like Mr. Consistency. Does it have to be like a decade of like consistent numbers or do you, you know, does it have to be, you know, he only had one bad season in 20 seasons, like had, you know, at a certain point you have to kind of consider when, uh, where's the cutoff for that, I guess. Well, one of the things I, I thought about is like to take the the era that the player played in, you know, which is totally arbitrary, right? It's just when they happen to have started and when they happen to have retired and, and looking at how they compare to everybody else in that era, mm. you know, and, and I find sometimes that helps like focus a little bit because when you just look at them overall, their entire career, you know, sometimes um, it doesn't look as impressive you know, because maybe they do finish in the top 10 total in counting stats, but you know from looking at their, you know, regular season numbers that they were never, like like Gartner, for example, they were never an elite player. But then if you compare them to people who had, like, essentially the same opportunity in the same era, and you see that they are, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not using Mike Gartner as an example anymore because I know it's it's not true, and I... I um, and I really don't know where he would sit with this, but like, if you if you then look and that that player has done more of those accomplishments in that particular period than anybody else, or very close to it, or is among the very you know top players, like Lindros, for example, if you depending on where you draw, if you if you draw the line for Lindros's career at the season where he missed that full season because of his concussion. 
and don't include the rest of his career. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that when looking at his career, but if you do do that, he's one of the best couple of players in the NHL at that point. If he retires right then, he was one of the best couple of players in the NHL and he doesn't drag down his counting or his rate stats with his comebacks. And I think it's something you have to look at, especially when it's something like an injury or in this day and age of concussions, like, you know, sometimes, you know, in the old days, it'd be like, oh, he got his bell rung. And then, you know, yeah. the guy doesn't play well for a few weeks or whatever. And then he kind of bounces back. But they weren't, players weren't as fast or as strong back then. So now yeah. when you get a concussion, it's like, oh, you pretty much got hit with a car. So, good yeah. <laughs> like, you're yeah, probably you're... never going to be the same. Yeah. I mean, like, and, or you have to do what Bergeron did and, like, change the way you play. Totally, you know? Yeah. Um, and about that Biggio thing you mentioned, one of the things I think we have to think about is like, you know, in 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 uh, hockey, just like in uh, in baseball, in hockey, there 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 are numbers that are are considered important, and one of them used to be 500 goals, right? Mm-hmm. You score 500 goals, and you're considered a great player. Well, now if you score 500 goals, that would put you as the 46th highest scoring player in NHL history, in terms yeah. of goals. That's a lot of players. Yeah, that's a lot of players, and they played in an era where you know, uh, put me on a line with Gretzky, and I might have scored thirty goals. You know, like so yeah. the goals were easy to come by in that era. Like so, yeah. A lot and of there are guys, guy, there are guys on there that are at least a little bit surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. um, I mean, not like insanely surprising, but there are guys who are on there. I mean, one one great example, and this is not to besmirch Ron Francis at all, but Ron Francis has 549 goals. Wow. Ron Francis was not a goal scorer. That's true. We all know that, yeah. you know, but he has 549 because he played forever. Yeah. And and there are a bunch of guys on there who were never, and, and Francis isn't in this category necessarily because he was a very, very elite passer, but like there are guys on the, 500 goal list who are um who may never have been uh dominant and or who were very briefly dominant Mm -hmm. and so one question we have i think is like at what at where is the point where you decide that 500 goals is no longer enough and it's 600 or you know as the league gets longer and longer you know in 30 years is it going to be seven um as people play forever. I mean, Yager, as much as I think Yager is fantastic, and I, I, I'm really glad to see someone play into his 40s, Yager is now, like, he is third all time, and he is only, he's less than 50 uh, goals behind Gordie Howe for second. Now, he's not going to get there because uh, he's having a bad year this year, is my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's going to be someone else like him who was less dominant uh, in his prime, who is going to like inch up, uh, you know, into the 700s, you know, where you're like, this, that guy scored 700 goals. Oh, he played for 20 years. Oh, right. Yeah. In, in an 82 game league. Yeah. I, um, I could see, I could see that being, you know, like a, like a Max Patchy ready or something one day, be like, hey, he never, yeah, he never actually hit 40 goals, but he scored 30 something every single yeah. year. Yeah. If he plays long enough, yeah, he'll be way up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, look at, I mean, and again, not necessarily besmirching, but both Hosa and Marlowe, who are good players, and Hosa, uh, I mean, we may have different opinions about, I don't know, but Hosa, I think, like, for his defensive ability, you know, there's a whole other things you could say about him, but both of those guys are above 500, and 
I think have scored 40 goals like once each or something or yeah. well Hosa may have done it a couple times but Marlowe's I think done it once mm-hmm. yeah well He's... that's the thing with both of those guys too that when you look at their career and I think this is something that might actually start to change with the Hockey Hall of Fame when you get a guy like Jonathan Taves uh, Marion Hosa uh, Marlowe um, these guys who never put up these fantastic numbers but they played a 200 foot game they had great, you know, plus minus and Corsi, like all that stuff's going to start to factor in because if you just look at Taves' numbers, like you would, if you look at him and Kane, let's say on paper, you're like, wow, Patrick Kane's a way better hockey player. You're like, um, have you seen them play hockey? Because yeah, yeah. clearly Jonathan Taves is the guy who drives that team. Yeah. So yeah. that's got to factor in at a certain point too, into how we look at the players, but it's very difficult to do that when you look back at a guy from the eighties and be like, yeah, well, he didn't play any defense. We're like, yeah, nobody did. <laughs> like the game, yeah, every yeah. game finished eight, six. Like, so <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of players nowadays, like uh, a Marlowe or a Hosa where they're just really consistently very good. If you yeah. also add in how great they were defensively, then maybe you start to talk about putting them into the hall of fame as a, like a complete player, almost like, a, almost like a new category of player that gets in. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because you know they've only been tracking um, they've only been tracking shots since what like two thousand eight or two thousand seven or something. Yeah. So like, you know, even with those guys in particular, Hosa and Marlowe, they only have the tail ends of their careers mm-hmm. where we have the information. And you know, I don't I don't know off the top of my head how either of those guys has performed. I suspect Hosa is well above. Um, like well into like above 50% for both Corsi and Fenwick um, just because of the way he plays. But like you're looking at the tail ends of their careers now when they're, you could probably safely assume no longer as elite as they were. Yeah. And, and so then you got to decide like, well, you know, can we, um, how, how much can we infer back when we weren't tracking this? Yeah. You know, were they like, like, uh, I know he's already in the Hall of Fame, but a great example would be Mike Medano, mm. who only ever scored 90 points in a season, but uh, who I personally think is highly underrated as a defensive forward, and we don't have the information to prove it. Exactly. You know? yeah, well, All I can I go by is like say, well, he like he had an insane look at his ice time when the Stars won the Cup. Yeah. You know, there was yeah, no yeah. way that a that a defensively liable forward would have played that many minutes during the Stanley Cup Finals if he, you know. I, I, I think the, the, the only way to prove that he was great defensively is to say, like, Hitchcock put him out all the time, and you know how Hitchcock is. Therefore, yeah. he must yeah. have been great. <laughs> but because the league, and this, is, this brings us to a greater problem with the NHL, because the league did a poor job of tracking anything. Oh, absolutely. Up, up until a point, um, you know, we don't have that. We all we can say is like what you just said, basically. Like we know Hitchcock, uh, you know, valued uh, defensively responsible players, and we we can point to how many minutes he played, mm-hmm. and therefore say like it's it's very clear that he was good. Yeah. Uh, on that end of the ice, but like, no, we don't have the it. we don't have the Corsi. You know, like it's not there. And and that's true of plus minus, which didn't come into existence until 1968. And that's true of uh, save percentage for goalies, which is going to be a huge problem for us. Oh, yeah. Because save percentage has only existed since what 81, I think. I think so too. Yeah. 80 or 81. And like, what do you, how do you evaluate a goalie who played before save percentage 
was yeah. tracked, you know, when all you have is goals against, yeah. which is, as we all know, a team stat and not a very good indication of how good your goalie was. I know, and I, I honestly don't even know if you'd be able to go back and look at, like, how many shots per game he was stopping either. So you have no way of, like, calculating it even if you did the research. And, like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, just like, and, ah, they won 3-2. Like, how many shots did he stop? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been 10. It might have been 70. We're not sure. Oh, yeah, and, and then you get the, the problem of how unreliable – Without game tape, how reliable are those stats? Because we we know for a fact, even in this day and age, that certain um, I think it's more of a problem with American teams, but certain teams like definitely inflate the hits total, the, the hit stats like crazy. Well, like, you go into certain ranks, be like, oh, that guy had uh, ten hits tonight. Be like, really? I think I think I saw him hit two guys. Like, why why is it ten hits every time he breathed on somebody? So you know, the guy who was doing the score. Because the, the scorekeepers were like, in, and I think they still are actually, like they're independent. Like the team just hires a guy and it's like, that's the scorekeeper for this rink. And you're like, doesn't the NHL like want to train these guys? Or <laughs> like, you can just make up whatever you want. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, just to, to like you brought in uh, baseball to bring in basketball for a second. They still have that problem with uh, assists and, uh, and steals and blocks in yeah. basketball who are tracked by employees of the team yeah, and the home team. And so there I've seen a few pieces that have studied the assist rates of like tons of different point guards Mm -hmm. and seen them, you know, they they're higher at home. Yeah. Almost always like across the board. And that's, that's a real, you know, I, I, I don't know to what degree they're off, Mm-hmm. But they're they're um, you know they are not. There's a lot of problems with like saying as much as I want to say, um, you know that that this particular player was uh, brilliant. You know I I know for a fact that some of their numbers can easily be called into question. And and you get into even more trouble, say in, in basketball, because they they they're they're way better. I must say they're way better in the NHL at tracking stuff, yeah. and have always been. But they didn't track steals and blocks until I think nineteen seventy something. Mm-hmm. And before that, they're they're all these guys, old time players who claim to have like had say like triple doubles, like uh, points, rebound, block, triple doubles. Yeah, you know, but nobody. I mean, unless there's footage of the actual game. Yeah, you don't. You can't establish it. It's just like, well, you got to assume that Will Chamberlain had tons of those. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't actually know unless someone's going to go back and watch every single televised uh, Chamberlain game that's been recorded. Yeah. And you know, and even then, there's going to be a bunch missing. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, because people weren't necessarily recording the broadcast. Yeah. And uh, you know, then then in, in hockey too, you also have the problem of when when the secondary assist came in all of a sudden now there's a bunch <laughs> more assists to start going around so it's like you know can you calculate how many of let's just say gretzky how many of gretzky's assists were primary assists and how many were secondary assists yeah. you know like so how do you determine the greatness of a passer when that stat is completely unreliable over the eras where a guy might have been a great passer and set up a lot of plays that developed slightly later but there was only one assist to give out back then so you know, he missed out on 30 assists per year or something, you know, like it's, yeah. it's very difficult to compare errors because and, of that. So. And that's a, that's a huge problem within like for the really old 
hockey players is yeah. that their point totals are, you know, they, you look back and you're like, people really didn't score a lot back then, even though, you know, you sort of thought maybe they would because, um, the really elite players would be, you would have thought were so much better than other players. And, and, and I think you're right. It's a lot of it has to do with, they just didn't give out the points as freely. So, yeah. And so, the, and you know, and there's a lot of, um, a lot of Canadians fans will complain that back in the old days when, you know, Gordie Howe was winning MVP awards and winning scoring titles and stuff that like, you know, he was getting a whole bunch of points, but like, he wasn't even on the ice for that because <laughs> they, they just didn't want a French Canadian to win the, you know, with the, the eternal complex of the, 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 the oh, yeah. by French Canadian, but that like, you know, they just didn't want Maurice Richard to win the league scoring title. So they'd give all these points to Gordie Howe. And so who knows how, true yeah. or false that is but you have no way of checking so yeah 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 it, which causes all sorts of problems and just while we're on that in terms of adjusting for error there's another problem um at least for the early years of the nhl which is that the roster size was different yeah in the in the teens and the 20s yeah you know there was a time so so hockey reference has this great thing and i should just by the way while we're doing this i should just say that hockeyreference.com is the greatest website <laughs> and uh, you know you should you should use it, and uh, if you use it a lot, you should give them money because they're great. Anyway, um, Hockey Reference has this thing for adjusted stats, and it works for a while mm. because you know you've got enough information. But once you get before plus, uh, once you get before they were calculating goal differential, you get some severe problems. So that's before 1967, uh, 68. Uh, because they're no longer, you know, they don't know necessarily who was on the ice for the goals and and when the goals were scored against. So that makes the calculation that that removes one aspect of the calculation for adjusted stats, which makes it more flawed. And then you get to the nineteen the, the nineteen seventeen through I think nineteen thirty or thirty one, when the roster was often six guys, <laughs> and it's like, how do you figure out or eight or something like that? How do you figure out how you compare players who are playing the entire game mm-hmm. with a player who plays 20 to 22 minutes, say a forward, you know, plays maybe 22 minutes a game, maybe. How do you compare that? The other guy played 55 or even 60, you know? Yeah. Well, you, you have to imagine how how well he was skating by the end of that entire 60 minutes. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's uh, the eras are very. It's it's almost like the the early years of hockey. It was. I mean, they didn't when it first started. They didn't have the forward pass. There yep. was an extra player on the ice. Like, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with that. And the the early games because of that extra player on the ice tended to be lower scoring, in spite of the fact that you know the goalie was a guy with a bunch of newspapers taped taped to his legs. Like, yeah, it's it's just a completely different sport almost. It really is. It's yeah. it's in many ways. It's you know, football had that thing too, where like uh, there were no uh, forward passes in football yeah. at one point, and and guys played both sides, you know, and like I can't, I'm not a I'm not a big football fan, but I can imagine that trying to evaluate players who played in a league with no forward passes and had to play both offense and defense all the time, and didn't have second and third string players to back them up. Uh, and and spell them, you know. I can't imagine how you compare over yeah, exactly. over the years. Yeah, just the style of the game completely different too, right? Like yeah. if you're looking at football, I mean, 
the forward pass comes in and but teams still didn't use it very well until well, i don't know the 1970s <laughs> yeah i don't know i guess until johnny yeah. davis comes in they don't really even use it very well yeah, so that's like the that's the 60s yeah, yeah and, and that's that's um, like bobby Orr all of a sudden defend and well actually you could probably make the argument for doug harvey but like the defenseman rushing the puck up the ice that's a whole development in the sport where like, oh yeah, defensemen are starting to put up points now because they actually carry the puck. They don't just immediately get rid of it and hang back at their own blue line. Like they're trying to score now. And that's a huge development yeah. in the style of the game. And then all the stats are completely skewed. So you can get a guy from the forties. Oh, this guy was a great defenseman. Be like, how many points did he have? Six. Like what? <laughs> you know, yeah, but he yeah. was great. So like, how do you know that? So. And, and, and that brings us to a, a big problem we have as well, which is, Forwards are, are are the easiest thing, right? Because yeah. you can look at the goals they scored, and yes, you get into a problem with secondary assists once they come into existence. Yeah. But you can still say, well, at least we know what the goals were, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's I I've seen a lot of breakdowns of of primary and secondary assists since they've been differentiating between the two, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of it pat like matches the eye test, so to speak. Like you, yeah. you know, the guys who have like. 60 or 70 assists in the league a lot of those are primary assists it's not like they're all primary assists but like people who are consistently in the top you know 10 of of assist tallyers or whatever you want to call them you know there's maybe the it's the outlier it's the guy who's in there one year who is the one who benefited from the secondary assist more than everyone else the guys who are there every year it's usually more than 50 percent of their assists are primary yeah you would think so but you get to defensemen and it's like, what do you do with defensemen before you even... And plus, we know plus minus. Everyone knows plus minus is garbage, yeah. especially on a per-game basis. You know, it, it might have some truth over, like, a thousand games, but, you know, in, in an 80-game season, it's not. it doesn't really tell you anything. But it does at least tell you a little bit, which, you know, that they were if they were on a... Um, a bad team and played a ton, you would expect them to be a minus. And if they're on a good team and played a ton, you would expect them to be a plus. And if they're not either of those, you yeah. can say that, that they were doing something different than the rest yeah. of the team. But yeah, well, I mean, it's like, um, you used to have this argument all the time where, you know, Patrice Breezeball would put up, uh, not to slag on him too much, but I'm going to get to one of my favorite hockey jokes of all time. Um, you know, people used to slag on him all the time for, you know, but he'd, he'd have like 45 points. People would be like, oh, he's a really good defenseman. And be like, um, he's like also like minus 35 and he has 45 points and he plays on the power play. So he has all these points, but then when he's even strength, you know, and then you'd see, you know, Jagger would beat him for a goal and make him look really dumb and that kind of thing. And then he developed a nickname as Patrice Breeze by, and you're like, yeah, like he's, he's good at what he does offensively, but he's not really that good of a defenseman. And in that case, the plus minus would kind of back up your eye test where you're like, yeah, he gets beat all the time. And then you'd be like, he's on a good, he's on a pretty good team. And he's just like, his plus minus is much lower than the rest of the team. So something must be going on there, you know? Um, or, 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 or take Phil Housley, who is now in the hall of fame, who is, um, a career minus 53 despite sure. playing essentially 1500 games. Wow. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I haven't sat down and watched a lot of tape of Phil Housley. And really all I remember is like the end of his career when I'm sure he was not as good as he was in his prime. And he was, you know, a fantastic offensive player. And in fact, I believe if I remember correctly, sometimes even played center, but um, he, the, you know, it's one thing to be minus 
something one year plus something the other minus something that this guy was minus almost every single year of his career. And some of those teams were bad. Yeah. And some of those teams were not so bad. Mm-hmm. And at some point you have to wonder, you know, how much of this is the player, even though we know that it's mostly random. The thing is that is a gigantic sample, it you is, know, 1500 yeah. games is not 82. Exactly. Yeah. And, and at some point you have to think, well, maybe, it's possible that he wasn't good in his own end. Yeah. Which is, you know, you know, it's a big, big problem I have with some offensive defensemen where it's like you're basically just a forward playing defense. Um, yeah. Because, you know, plus minus is very, very unreliable when it comes to that. Because, you know, you could be a guy who's like a power play specialist and you put up a ton of points, but then you're you're not on the ice for, so then you're like, you're a great player, but you're not, a great five-on-five player does that keep yeah. you out of the Hall of Fame? Like, yeah, yeah, that can be very, very problematic. Absolutely. Um, so I think like we've we've highlighted a lot of the uh, the sort of career issues, um, hmm. and I guess uh, in the interests of time, <laughs> we should move <laughs> to uh, talking a little bit about um, awards. And how how uh, how much value we can put in them, and and I want as an example of of the problems that I foresee us encountering in a future episode, I want to talk about Al Rollins. Oh, and Al Rollins okay. is, I believe, the only person, only player in the history of the NHL to win the Hart Trophy and be eligible for the Hall of Fame and not be in the Hall of Fame. Wow, and there is a reason for that. And I will tell you what that reason is. Um, Al Rollins won the heart in 1953-54. And he uh, had a record of 12, 47, and 7. So that's 12 wins, 47 losses, and 7 ties. And a GAA of 323, which back then was not good. Um, (laughs) Now I think 323 is probably fine. It's, but it's to okay. give you an example, he in a six-team league, he was sixth. Jeez. Harry Lumley, the goalie, the starting goalie for the Maple Leafs, had 1.86 GAA. Now, we do not have the saves because the NHL did not track save percentage. <laughs> so we don't know if Al Rollins stood on his head every single game and blocked and saved so many shots that the 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 professional hockey writers were just like, this man deserves the heart because he's the only thing keeping the Blackhawks from being, you know, they were the worst team in the league, but he's the only thing keeping them from being below 200. Like they were a 221 team and maybe Al Rollins was the only thing keeping them, you know, above even like 0.05 or something like that. But the problem is, I don't know because they didn't track the information. And it strikes me as insane that the starting goalie of the worst team in the NHL won the MVP. Must have been doing something. <laughs> and so here, so here is here is the conundrum that I present to you. Can we trust these people if they did something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, I this is an extreme. That, that, that but is an extreme. And we trust them. It, it highlights the problem with awards, right? Like to me. Like, okay, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky, you know, Hart Trophy, Art Ross, you know, like something like the Art Ross Trophy, we know why you get it. It's because you had the most points. That's fine. Yeah. 
Something it's easy to figure out. Say let's put to a vote, but I, I I think the closer we get to the modern era, or at least the era where we've seen some of these players play, we can be like, yeah, if that guy won the Hart Trophy, it's probably legit, and we can use that to build his case for the Hall of Fame. But a lot of times, um, I'll just give you an example, and this is not to crap all over uh, a, a great player who obviously deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But you know, Nick Lidstrom won the Norris Trophy, and a lot of I think he. Did he win six or seven? He won seven, I think. But his last one in particular is highly questionable. Yeah, because he because he was a minus that year, and it drove me crazy. I was like, he should not yeah. be winning the North if he's a minus, and he's on a good team. Like this, I was very upset about it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you know there was a couple of sports radio guys in Montreal started arguing. You know, may, maybe we can put him in the conversation of it's either him or Bobby Orr is the best defenseman of all time. I'm like, I don't think you can count his last Norris Trophy, and also he won seven in twenty years, whereas Bobby War, Bobby Orr won eight and eight. I think there's a big difference so, there. So I don't know if you read it, but many years ago, I wrote a, a, a long, exhaustive blog post about the Norris. And I think I did read it, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I, 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 you know, I tried, I used, you know, I used hockey references, um, various hockey reference stats, uh, point shares, defensive point shares, stuff like that. And I just tried to make my own rating. And, you know, it was very unscientific and I didn't do a great job, but I at least made some effort more than I feel like sometimes the professional hockey writers do. And and one of the things I discovered, at least based on certain information that I could find, which is, you know, as we're talking about right now, is is not necessarily correct information, was that Doug Harvey has too many. Lidstrom has slightly too many. Bork doesn't have enough. And this may not be true, but it was just like what I could come up with at the time. Uh, uh, Pierre Pilot, or however you pronounce his last name, doesn't have enough. Like there were like there were years where, at least using the metric that I attempted to develop, yeah. that like they were way way off with who should have won. Like uh, particularly like Randy Carlyle and, and Doug Wilson in the eighties, who were just there because they scored a ton, you know. Yeah. And and Paul Coffey's early trophies, they're like guys that really shouldn't have won it. And 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 maybe you know I I'm sure my metric is flawed. I think you could go back to that post and you could look at it and you could probably you know tear a hole big enough to drive a truck through it. But I still feel like it's better than the the consensus that like the highest scoring defenseman is the best defenseman in the league. I completely agree. I think I think now that that hopefully that's going to start to change now that they have things like Corsi and stuff they can look yeah. at. Yeah, um, I had this argument with my buddy Kevin all the time, a huge Senators fan, and he used to talk about how much better Carlson was than everybody, blah, 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 blah. And I'd always say, like, yeah, but he was like a minus in this year where he had 75 points, but he was a minus. So, like, I wouldn't have given him the Norris. And then, of course, now Carlson, of course, you know, turns into this god of every time he's on the ice, the Senators are so much better than when he's not. And you're like, okay, maybe Kevin was right. Yeah. Um, but at the time, to me, the stats weren't making sense. But now that we're getting more advanced stats, you're like, okay, like, yeah, he might be a minus something. But the team is so much better when he's on the ice that like he maybe he is that valuable of a player. And so maybe we start to get into that thing where defensemen now have a we have a different way of looking at them. And we do. Yeah. And that's great. But my my concern is when we get to someone, say like Doug Harvey, who is the consensus greatest defenseman of all time prior to Bobby Orr, mm -hmm. we don't actually know. Yeah, we have no idea and, of knowing. We have to we have to trust that the hockey writers kept giving him the Norris because he was great. Like, yeah, and 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 do you, can we do that? Because like at the same time, they gave Al Rollins the heart. The same yeah. people, mm -hmm. the same people who gave Doug. I don't know if Doug Harvey won the Norris in nineteen in that year because I 
uh, I believe that might have been slightly before uh, the Norse existed. And also, um, Red Kelly won at first. I think it was like sort of like invented for Red Kelly a little bit, but um, it it still begs the question: like, can you? I don't know whether or not to trust the awards. And when we go back, we don't have enough information. So then it's like, well, what else? Because we don't we don't even have as much as we've admitted it's shitty. We don't even have plus minus yeah. for those. All we have is like their point totals. We don't have their minutes played. You know, we can't even guesstimate. Like, we don't even know how much we're, they were on the ice without us doing something insane, like attempting to watch every Doug Harvey game ever, which obviously nobody's going to do. Yeah, and I'm sure Doug, uh, this is not to say that Doug Harvey was bad. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that it's possible his reputation as the greatest defenseman of all time prior to Bobby Orr is incorrect. Yeah, because yeah. it became one of these self fulfilling prophecies where it was like, well, Doug Harvey had a pretty good year this year. Did anyone have a better year? Well, I don't know. Doug Harvey already had. A, we know Doug Harvey's good. Yeah, that just you know, I I didn't get a chance to see many Habs games, but I know he's good. Yeah, maybe I'll vote for him for the Norris. And that's a problem. I don't know how to solve it. Um, yeah. I, I, I would say for a player where you're like really on the fence of does he belong in the Hall of Fame, then maybe you start to look at how many awards he's won and how valuable those awards were, how like, okay, well, he did win four Norrises. So, I mean, he had to have been the best player at least at least in one or two of those years. Maybe yeah, that's true. All four of them. So maybe, maybe that's like a thing that kind of pushes a player over the edge. Yeah. Um, but any award that's voted on where it's not just like an automatic, you scored the most goals, you scored the most points, you had, uh, you know, like the William M. Jennings trophy, you know, you had the lowest yeah. uh, goals against for as a team, but that's more of a team award than a goalie award too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's been years where a goaltending tandem wins it. You're like, both those guys are just okay, but I guess the team's fantastic. So, um, you know, so that. But doesn't. The Vezin is a voted one too, and it's like you know m maybe we go more with uh, how many times were you a finalist for the trophy? Well, and then I I think that's it. a I I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that um, as much as we might we can still quibble about the nomination process too. If you're if you're a finalist all the time, yeah, you know it's probably not a mass delusion that you were exactly. good. It's probably you were good. Um, like a, a example, I, I would pick personally um, something that I couldn't really figure out when I was watching him play is, you know, I, I think Sergei Zubov is not going to be in the Hall of Fame because he never won a Norris. That's true. How, however, personally, I, I think that he should have won one, or if, if not, he shouldn't be eliminated because he was like the second best defenseman in the league for however many years and frankly should have possibly won well i don't know about one a con smythe but was also should have been a contender for a con smythe um which is a which is a nice little segue that we also have this problem with the con smythe trophy which has existed for way less time than the norris oh no well almost as long as the norris never mind because just to, to pick a particular one out of the air that bothers me justin williams winning the con smythe a few years ago this, this is a guy who did not lead his team in goals or assists or points and, and definitely did not lead his team in minutes played um, and, and was as voted um, recently in an era where we have more information about players. 
was still voted the MVP of the playoffs. Yeah, well, I, I think despite... a lot of that comes with his, you know, his reputation as Mr. Game 7. Um, yes. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, he's like, you know, he's got that Mr. Game 7 rep, all these big clutch goals that he scored, et cetera, et cetera. And that factors in a lot, right? Like, Yeah, but um, I mean, I, that's... I think a lot of it... Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that's actually a thing. Uh, I think that one of the things that bothers me about hockey um, is is the unwillingness to give up sort of these like treasured narrative tropes of the past. Whereas like, I don't know. I I don't know that anyone's actually sat down and looked at, at Justin Williams entire career and, and, you know, really figured out if he is as clutch as people have come to believe. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because he's, because he's signed by other teams and traded to other teams with the hope that he will score that next game seven goal. And those teams are good. And so, to use another basketball um, comparison, you get you get some, you know uh, Robert Ory, yes, yeah. So then you get someone like Robert Ory, who was not a great player, but who was seen as having that certain something, and so he kept being on finals teams all the time, and then he would hit big shots because he was a three point shooter who was on the floor at yeah. the end of the game, and who was a decent shooter. But like you could have put somebody else in who was also a decent shooter, and they probably would have made the shot too. But or, don't or forget, there's there's that one year where he should have won the MVP because he tackled Steve Nash into the scorers table, and then they they banned yeah. uh, Stoudemire the next game that <laughs> they lost. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, if it wasn't him hitting any big shots, it was him being a jerk that should have won the MVP that year. Because yeah, well, I mean, and 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 to go back to hockey, you have like Claude Lemieux had that reputation for a while, right? He yeah. was being traded from team to team. As if he had some kind of magic potion that would like bless the team with his abilities to win in clutch games. He won, he won a Conn Smythe trophy, but I, I believe he was, if not the leading scorer right up there that year that they won. Yeah, he wasn't the leading scorer. Uh, he was he was among the top, but he yeah. wasn't the leading scorer. But I, um, he's also like he's he's one of those guys where it's you almost like he he upped his game so much more than his regular season game. You're like, wow, he provided so much value to the team by playing near the top of you know let, let's say one of the top three players on that team where normally he's like a i don't know a third line winger or something You're like man that guy really brought it i think he you know kind of uh like a you know like a clutch playoff performance um and i, I mean at a certain point you're like it's it's so hard because the con Smythe, unless there's such a clear winner for that team it's like yeah. it's up in the air right like the, the 94 rangers a lot of you know brian leach won it and he was the top you know, point getter as a defenseman in the entire playoffs. And, and I think in history, it, but you could have made a very strong argument for Mike Richter deserving that just as yeah, much because he yeah. was huge. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be healthy debates about that. I just, I have a problem with like to pick on Claude Lemieux now. Yeah. So I was wrong. He, he did score more goals than anyone else on the team, but overall he had the fourth most points. Okay. So, and yeah. without knowing ice time, it's probably safe to say he was not playing as much as uh, Neil Broden in particular. Um, uh, but I mean, I, and I don't, I don't know because of course the NHL wasn't tracking ice time, but I know that Justin Williams was not playing anywhere near as much as Kopitar or uh... anyway, I just, I just bring up the Smythe as well as being another one of these, these voting awards where we have to sort of think about like, to what extent are they actually accurate? And fortunately, yeah. 
um, since they started tracking ice time, we can at least look at ice time and be like, well, you know, this yeah. guy really wasn't on the ice all that much. Um, <laughs> you know, like he, he really, uh, like just to, just to hammer it home. Um, if you look at ice time among skaters, uh, Justin Williams was the ninth. Wow. He had the ninth highest minutes on, uh, on the Kings that year. He was supposedly their most valuable player. I have a problem with that. Um, I understand he scored the most goals. He scored nine goals, and and some of those goals were clutch. But like, you know, Tyler Defoli scored seven goals that season. Actually, no, he didn't score the most goals. Sorry, he scored the third third most goals. It's even worse. <laughs> um, anyway, we should get off it because I'll just I'll never stop talking about it. But the point being that like even even recently. We sometimes have to scrutinize the awards. Oh, I, I completely agree. Look at um, the the Penguins won the cup two years ago, and they they gave the uh, the Conn Smythe to uh, Crosby. Yeah, and I thought Phil Kessel should have won it. Absolutely, know? absolutely. And 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 apparently it, it came down to like Bob McKenzie's vote, and he said, "Well, if Crosby does something significant in the third period, my vote's Crosby, but otherwise it's Phil Kessel." Like it was that close. Yeah. So you're like, well. Crosby gets to say he's a two-time Conn Smythe winner, but like that first one, eh, almost wasn't him, and maybe shouldn't have been him. So yeah, yeah. do we count I think you it? Make it... And, and then, do you remember that? If you don't remember watching that Cup final, do you remember that game, or like is it just like it gets lost in all the stats because you're just looking at like a summative thing of the guy's career? You're not, you know, like a, a somebody that I'm going to totally pick on when we do get to that eventually, um, like Chris Osgood. Yeah, and you know, at, like one of those guys just consistently good but like only really good because he was on detroit and how great they were and there was one year where he played really really well and he had great stats and he won the con Smythe. and then you know so some people say oh he won a con Smythe, he won four cups or like he was on the bench for one of them and blah blah so it's really <laughs> three and then you know and then the year that the, but the thing that i will remember because i watched that cup final and it's it's difficult to even find a picture of it, but so you actually have to like go back and watch the game to see those two goals. But Max Talbot scored both those goals uh, for the Penguins when they finally beat Detroit that year, um, which was mostly due to Lidstrom only having one ball. Um, yeah. But in that game, Chris Osgood, like was he, on the second goal, Talbot walks in and he like loses his net, like an amateur goalie and Talbot just snaps it top corner. You're like, you completely lost your net on that one. Like that was terrible. And then they yeah. lost 2-1. That was the cup-winning goal. And no one's going to remember that. They're going to be like, oh, he won a Conn Smythe. He won three cups. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Like, he won a whole bunch of games. Be like, yeah, but don't you remember him, like, farting away that Stanley Cup by letting in a terrible goal? Like, does no one remember that? You know, like, uh, and, it would have been maybe the same thing if the Devils had lost that cup. Uh, obviously, Bruder is a much better goaltender than Chris Osgood ever was or ever would be. Um but like Marty Berdur in that game, that game one against the Ducks, where he came out of his net to play it, dropped his stick, and the puck went. Yeah, into the yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Like if they lose that Stanley Cup because of that goal, does that like somewhat taint his resume? Like you don't, yeah. you don't remember that unless you watch the game because you're just looking at, you know, he has the most wins of all time, won the Conn Smythe, blah blah. blah. You know, obviously Berdur is very very good, and that's not that doesn't affect his legacy. But to me, like if you you know you, you look at a player, oh, he won one Conn Smythe, he won all these trophies. And you're like, yeah, but like, don't forget that he he wasn't as good as it appeared. But you don't remember that unless you watch the eye test. I think is is important when we get to players that we have seen play, or you know, that we at least can get some footage of. Yeah, <laughs> um, reasonable amount of footage of. You can at least talk about the eye test matches, the stats, or like, and the awards, or like, hmm, this is 
kind of strange, you know? And, and I think another thing we have to factor in with the awards as well is like, you know, like a, this is the, the case with Brad Park. Everybody in the NHL, like every hockey announcer, every player who played in that era is in agreement that Brad Park should have won a handful of Norris trophies, but he never did because Bobby Orr yeah. was in there every year stealing them away from him because he was just so much better. And then Denny Poppin. Yeah, totally. That, the same kind of thing, right? So it's like a guy like that, it's like you can't fault him for not winning these because he's in any other era, he's probably winning a bunch of them, but just he happened to play at the same time as somebody else who was that like just that exceptional player like you know a guy yeah. who's a very good passer and he plays when Gretzky played and it's like well yeah you're never gonna be the top in assists because Gretzky has you know he gets five of them falling out of bed you know he's just the kind of guy yeah. he is so and, I, and that, that, that br- stuff too and that brings me to like the the all-star games and all-star first all-star teams and second all-star teams and uh my favorite basketball writer Zach Lowe every year agonizes over them mm. and people say to him, he's, he's on the record on his podcast saying regularly, like people say to him, why do you care so much? And he's like, well, I don't care except for the fact that I know that in 20 years, people are going to be looking back at this and say, well, this guy only has one all-star first team all-star. So he shouldn't belong in the hall of fame. Yeah. And, and we have the same problem with the awards as we do with the all-star, uh, uh, games and uh, first and second teams, though fortunately we have way more information now because they also do monthly and weekly stars and we can at least, if not, I'm not saying we should rate those, but we should at least look at them and we know that you know they give us a better idea if someone has a ton of monthly and weekly stars over their career since they introduced it, get a better idea, especially if they don't have like a, a first team all-star ever, that maybe they deserved it at some point. But these are also voted on and you know sometimes the league does, uh, the the writers do crazy things like put Ovechkin at the wrong position. Yes, and, they do that. Yes. Yeah, and and so if, once again, it's like, well, we really gotta if we if like you said, if we have the footage we can look at, or if we saw them play, we almost have to value that as much, or even sometimes more, because we know that like you know sometimes guys are put on first and second all-star teams for really weird reasons or yeah, the wrong position left off for really weird reasons like yeah uh, or yeah uh, even worse yeah left like, off uh, there's a good example of that pavel bure is you know the only player in nhl history to win the calder trophy but not be on the all-rookie team because some it's, guys counted him as a left winger and some guys counted as the right winger so which is insane it, which is the dumbest thing i've ever heard but yeah great great trivia question but that's dumb <laughs> and it's like yeah i mean like why couldn't they just said winger yeah. There'll be two wing. There'll be two wingers on the, uh, you know, well, then, on the all rookie team. Then you get into the problem of like left winger stats versus right winger stats because yeah. right wingers always have more goals and points than yeah. left winger. Well, that is true, and 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 that is a a problem. But like, yes. I mean, it's just all this stuff is just fraught with these problems, really, because like, you know, we have. Um, so I think I think the the gist of it is we're getting to is that we have to in. In addition to looking at the awards, we have to look at the stats as much as we can, and then we, if we can, we have to look at tape because, yeah. um, unless we actually see them doing the things they were doing, it's kind of hard sometimes to take the awards at face value, especially when they have won. Yeah, and if they're it, not yeah. nominated, if they were nominated twice in their career or something, and they have one award, or they were nominated a couple times and they never won, but only a couple times, and they played for fifteen or sixteen years, yeah. 
that's a big difference to someone who won once and was nominated eight years in a row. Yeah. You know, and and it, there's a lot of parsing to do because there are some of these weird anomalies where, like you said, I didn't even know about the Calder thing with Burre, the 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 <laughs> non rookie. That is insane. That's just like one of those things that just makes my blood boil. Like that's just <laughs> like, what the hell were they thinking? And I mean, it was an accident. It wasn't intentional, but it just goes to show you, you can't look at the awards and go like, well, that's definitive. You know, this guy has the most of these awards. He must be the best at this position. Yeah. And And we're going to get it. For for all-star game nominations, if you were an, if you were a pretty good player playing on a really shitty team, because every, because every team had to have a player in the all-star game, I think they still do actually. Yeah. Um, like I've watched, except for the John Scott thing, like I've watched an All Star yeah. game in the last ten years, I don't give a crap. But um, that matters yeah. a lot because you can get one guy. He's a good player. He plays on a really bad team. He's always going to be the nominee. So he's like, he's a he's a ten time All Star because everybody else on his team sucks. You know, like let's just yeah. I don't know. Obviously, Rick Nash is a very good player, and especially when he first came into the league. But like for years, who the hell else was Columbus going to send? It had to be Rick Nash. Like he was basically automatically had an invite. So how should that count for how good he was? I mean, he was very good, but there could be a player like that where it's like, eh, you know, uh, after Nash left, maybe like a Brandon Dubinsky or something. He's always yeah. the guy. And like, he's just their best player. He's not like that great. Just he's there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so there's, and, there's, and then the other one is the honorary ones too. You got to be careful yes. with because it it's not like there's an asterisk, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, and that, and maybe that tips somebody over. Well, he was in the Ulster game like three times, and then one of them turns out to be honorary. And you're like, yeah. well, you know, because he played forever or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's, there's lots, of, lots of questions there too. Finally, we have um, the idea of a great team, and what I want to suggest, and it may be controversial to you, I don't know, is that when we think about players on great teams that we can't just think about Stanley cup winners after a certain point. And the reason I say that is because we, it, we're now in a 31 team league yes. and um, we are talking about though back in the day, we will be talking about a league in which um, everyone, every team made the playoffs in many cases. Uh, and, and you know there there was a pretty good chance you were in the playoffs and you had an opportunity that has not been true for a long time and yes. even when it was true that a majority of the teams made the playoffs in the 1980s um there were still some you know weird divisional quirks and things like that and so my thinking is that when we think about the really successful teams we do have to think about more than just this team won a championship and this player won a championship and there are players who are in the Hall of Fame right now, Dick Duff, for example, who uh, have won a lot of cups and are in the NHL Hall of Fame, or sorry, the Hockey Hall of Fame, because they won a lot of cups, but they were in a position to win more cups than, say, Ovechkin. You know, yeah. Ovechkin has no cups. Ovechkin may never have a cup. Are we going to look back at Ovechkin's career and say, well, he was never on a truly great team, so he really wasn't one of the c- top couple goal scorers in the history of the league. Or are we going to be like, well, we know he played in a 30 and 31 team league, and the odds of him winning a cup were significantly lower, everything else being equal, than Dick Duff, who was in a six-team league and was in the playoffs every year of his career, pretty much. Yeah. 
Well, but I mean, to be fair, I, th- I think Dick Duff gets into the Hall of Fame for the name alone. Um, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. All-time hockey name. Um, yeah. But I, I think you're completely right on that. And if you look at it, like I'll compare it to another sport again, if you take a look at uh, football, you know, John Elway and Dan Marino, Marino never won one, and Elway only won his final two years in the league. And a lot of people were always saying – they're great, but they're not the greatest of all time because they never won a Super Bowl. And like Marino had all the stats, like just yeah. light teams up, throw for 500 yards. Like nobody, if they didn't change the rules in the NFL to like you're not allowed to touch the guy beyond five yards and all that stuff, nobody would have come close to his records for a long, long time. And yet people yeah. will say, no, he's not in the conversation with greatest of all time because he won any Super Bowls. But like, if, I'm pretty sure if you put him on the Niners, the Niners win at least that many Super Bowls. Like he's just on bad teams. He never had a running game. He never had a defense. If he didn't put up 38 points, they were going to lose. Like, and Elway was in the same kind of boat too until they finally got him a halfway decent defense and a good running game. So it's like that guy's elite. His team sucks or his team's just good because he's so good. And then you got to take a look at that. So if a guy's on a team for 15 years, they never win a championship, but that team is consistently one of the top teams in the league. And they just, you know, like Ovechkin's a great example because Washington, I mean, yes, they've lost in game six and game seven the last two years to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but those are like, there's OT games. They seem to, you know, they hit a post. Like they're, they're achingly close. It's not like he's that far off. And you get the sense that if they win that, they're the next best team to Pittsburgh. They're probably winning that cup and they're losing by, you know, in some cases inches, you know, like last year, yeah. should have scored in yeah. game seven and he hit the knob of uh Fleury's stick. And then Fleury's stanking his stick. He's rubbing it. He's like, thanks buddy. Like he knows he got beat. It's like Ovechkin yeah. just gets that bad luck and it keeps him from, but his team is consistently a president's trophy winner or they finish top five in the league and they always win their first round in the playoffs and they run into a team and they fall apart. They just never seem to make it, but it's not because of Etchkin's not great. It's not because he doesn't play on a very successful team. They just don't seem to be able to break through. So what I was thinking is kind of like a a way of figuring that out a little bit is if we look at the player and the player is on their uh, international teams all the time, you know, or they're on, they've had success in other, in other leagues where they are on some kind of all-star team or a great team as well. If you have both, you know, maybe they don't win the Stanley Cup. Maybe they don't even make it to a final. Like Ovechkin has yet to make it to a final. Yeah. But you, you know, he, you know, when he's available, he's on the the Russian Olympic team, you know, and he's on the Russian World Cup team in the past or World Championship, and he's been on the World Cup, like, you know, and and I'm sure there are numerous other examples of players who, well, like Korea, right? Like yeah. Korea would be on the uh, um, World Championship teams because the Ducks sucked. And and guys who like okay yeah they may not have had the opportunity to win a cup, especially when we're talking about the last uh, like twenty however many twenty something years since the league got to thirty. Um, it's, it's such a team game as well with hockey, right? Like it's you can be an individually great player and never have success because you're always on bad teams. And it's not some people say oh it's his character you know and they'll get into that whole thing, but it's like. The guy's great, just the guys he's playing with, not so great. Well, so, like, And he, here's yeah. the crux of that. The crux of that is we are talking about hockey where, yes, a goalie plays a whole game, but he only plays half of the game. He doesn't score. And the guys who do play the whole rink, like a defenseman, if a defenseman plays half of the game, that is really notable. If a guy plays 30 minutes, people yeah. are going to talk about it because it's so rare. 
and I mean, yes, there are guys who play who do occasionally like Drew Doughty might average, you know, some seasons he's averaged like really high into the twenties. But that is still really rare. Yeah. You're talking about players who are not on the ice enough mm-hmm. to actually like completely totally change you know they can change the game but they're not like it's not basketball um which is the best comparison i can make where there are guys in basketball who are on the court for 85 90 percent of the minutes played during a 48 minute game and it makes sense they touch the ball so much more than a hockey player and they touch the ball all the time and it makes sense in basketball to say this guy you know this guy is a problem like this team is not winning because of this guy who is playing 38 minutes out of the 48 minutes and you know is shooting horribly or whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. To say that a player who is playing 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 minutes a game is bringing down his entire team yeah. um or did that and that's why they never won a cup. Uh, even though you have say like other evidence such as look at the fact that he's led the league in goals almost every year, you know. You can't like it's it's absurd to me to say that like that Ovechkin's you know focus solely on offense are the reasons the Capitals have never won a cup. You know, like he's not on the ice enough yeah. for him to be the the person solely responsible for the Capitals' woes. And I know bad things; he's had some really bad luck, but he's not the only person on that team. Yeah, and I mean, you get both sides of the coin too. Like if you look at uh, at football. You know, Peyton Manning probably should have won three or four Super Bowls when he was with Indianapolis. Yeah. They never had a good enough defense, and they could never seem to win any outdoor games against the Patriots. And he also had Brady to contend with. And so a lot of championships he should have won didn't happen. So a lot of people were crapping on him. Yeah. And they won won that one against uh, the Bears, and then they lost the one against the Saints who started the second half with an onside kick because they're like, if we let him get the ball, we're going to lose. We better just go for it now. Like, yeah. that's how good he was. They're like, let's just try this crazy thing to keep the ball away from that guy because he's going to score. Um, you know, he was that good. Then he got hurt, and then he comes to Denver. And so you're like, he should have all these Super Bowls. He doesn't. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he's only going to win one Super Bowl. Then when he finally does win his second one, which people go like, oh, wow, he is one of the all-time greats. Like, yeah, but he played like crap, and the Denver defense won that Super Bowl by themselves. Like, he had nothing to do with it. And yet people will point to Oh, now he has two. He's pretty good. You're like, what? Look, that makes no yeah. sense. Like, that's it so doesn't. dumb. And, and it is. It is really right. like it. There's too much emphasis put on championships. I feel like it's more like a, wow. When you're on this team, you have a very high winning percentage because you're a great player, and therefore your teams always do well. That counts for yeah. something. Yeah. I I think that um, I think that winning percentage is certainly. Uh, important and then also I think that you know we can't neglect guys who have just had terrible luck to have been you know because at this point you are still drafted into pro sports league you still do not they haven't gone to the point yet where amateurs enter pros as free agents and until that happens players mostly have no say you know occasionally they hold out but for the most part they have no say as who they end up playing for and especially in the past when um free agency was a lot more limited you know they couldn't get somewhere else and so there are going to be players i don't know that it's a ton of them but there are going to be players who well korea is a good example you brought him up earlier you know who um the the what he was in one final and he was a a role player on that team i think or no i guess he was the best player on the team but like forward but like 
he had one chance at it because yeah. the Ducks were awful yeah. for so long, and so the, and and he was drafted by them, and because of the rules at the time, he didn't really have an opportunity to go anywhere else for the first chunk of his career. How is that his fault? Exactly. How is he responsible? How? Why should we leave him out of the Hall of Fame? A guy who was offensively dominant at a time when nobody was offensively dominant because he got drafted by the wrong franchise doesn't make any sense yeah and not not to mention he also had the the whole concussion issues right like he missed he missed the the olympics in nagano in 98 and probably canada would have won if they would have had him or sacking available yeah Um, yeah and i'm sure i feel like we're gonna i mean in the in the original six era and and prior to that when there were like seven and eight teams it's not going to be there are not going to be too many players we find like this. But I think once the league expanded, there's going to be the odd player where we're like, wow, this guy was actually like, everything about this career says he was at least good to very good, maybe even great, but never got the opportunity because he was on X franchise who for that decade were were terrible or had really bad luck. Because that's uh, also a thing, right? Yeah, like Marcel Dion. Yeah, like Dion, exactly, like Dion. Like this phenomenal player, and then if you, you know, if you were to go to the Dion family home somewhere here in Quebec, I'm not sure sure exactly what town they're from, if they're from Montreal or the outskirts, but if you go to their family home, there would only be one, you know, championship trophy on the mantle, and it's Gilbert, his younger brother who played for the Habs for one year in 93 when Patrick Roy stood on his head and stole a cup. You're like, that's the guy with the championship, but obviously Marcel scored 600 plus goals in the NHL. 700. 700, my God. But you're like, you never won a cup. Be like, well, that obviously has nothing to do with him if he scored 700 goals. He did his part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was the best player on a terrible team for a very long time. You know, and then the team got good when he was traded and retired. You know, (laughs) like, it's just like, well, that's not his fault. Yeah, well, a lot of people said that about, uh, like, Cam Neely. Yeah. Um, or or Ray Bork, except he left at the end to go get his cup. Yeah. Which which I didn't enjoy, by the way. Um. But oh, all the power to him, as far as I'm concerned. Oh well, I mean, if it makes him happy, that's great. But it's like yeah. it's not it's not like that pushed it over the edge, and oh well, now I guess he does belong in the Hall of Fame. Oh, no, 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 it's true. Like yeah, the idea that he, yeah. yeah, yeah, the idea he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame be, if he doesn't win that cup with the Avalanche is ridiculous. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. It. Yeah. I don't, all I'm right. not even the biggest Ray Bork fan, but boy, he used to. Him, him and Neely, if you watch the old clips and stuff, you're just like, man, they were really good. <laughs> like, they yeah, were all over yeah. the ice. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So I, I think we've at least, we, we haven't solved any issues, but we've definitely... Uh, we've addressed them. We've addressed them. And we know um, we, we know what we're getting into. We have a whole bunch of uh, issues that are going to pop up, especially um, with the early... Uh, with the early seasons of the NHL when we have very little information, um, including very few to no awards and just basically goals and the odd assist, because guess what? In the early years in NHL, they only even counted the assists sometimes. Yeah. Which is how you get a player scoring 44 goals with four assists in a season. <laughs> which is amazing. How the record for the, the NHL uh, goal scoring record was prior to uh, Richard. Uh, another story, which we'll talking about soon, I think. So, yeah, you just, if you just look at those stats, you're like, man, that guy's a real puck hog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think that wraps it up, and uh, we will be uh, 
we will we hope that you will join us for our our episodes as they come out about um various nhl players and eras and uh, whether or not they were true the players were truly great so uh thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time